Abraham was alive to start with. Abraham is alive to begin with. That's like the opposite of a Christmas carol. We're not too far away from Christmas. Remember the opening lines of a Christmas carol? Marley was dead to begin with. No doubt whatever about that. Dickens wanted the reader to get the point so that the rest of the story would seem marvelous. It made sense that it would be marvelous because when Marley appears and talks to Scrooge, he was dead. Marley was, be- was dead to begin with. Well, this morning, I've got to get this point across. Abraham is alive to begin with. Before we start to speak about him today, Abraham is alive. Jesus looks back in the Old Testament and he quotes God saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uses it as proof that God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham is alive. Jesus tells a story in Luke 16. It gives us a little bit of a picture into the afterlife. And there in a place called paradise, guess who's there? Abraham, alive. In fact, that place that is called paradise is also called being at Abraham's side. And Abraham speaks. So as we read about Abraham today, read with the understanding, Abraham is alive to begin with. Abraham is in heaven today. I want to go there. How about you? As I read about the life of Abraham, I am also reading about somebody who has been given eternal life with God. And that interests me because that's where I want to go. How about you? It interests me because as we continue to look into Abraham's life, we're going to see someone who messes up. But that someone who messes up can also be alive in heaven. I want to understand how that works. That's really important to me because I want to go there. How about you? Go ahead and tell me about your net worth. Tell me about your IQ. Tell me about your personal peace with life. That's fine. But let me ask you, where are you going to spend forever? When all is said and done, that's really all that's going to matter, isn't it? We get all worked up over what's going to happen over 80 or 90 years of life. But are you sure about forever? Forever seems a whole lot more important to me than 80 or 90 years. You're not sure about heaven? I want to go there. More than I want to make a name for myself, more than I want to accumulate stuff, more than I want to make a long list of noted achievements, I want to go there. How about you? Do you hear a running theme here this morning? Abraham is alive to begin with. Part of what we'll need to bear in mind today is that the Bible sometimes is very simple. It's sometimes what we call brutally honest. Have you noticed how kids are that way too? Brutally honest. It was a blistering hot summer day. The lady of the house was slaving over the stove as she fixed a meal for guests that they had invited. And in the big sweat, she finally sat down all around the table there. The father of the house turns to his six-year-old son, and he says to him, why don't you have prayer before we eat? And this little six-year-old boy says, but Daddy, I don't know what to say. So his mom chimed in, oh, just say something that you've heard me say. 
So he, yeah, you can hear that. So, you know, they bowed their heads, and obediently he bowed his head, and he said, Oh, Lord, why on earth did I invite these people here on a hot day like this? That's called brutal honesty. Kids can be brutally honest. Well, I've noticed this about the Bible. The Old Testament in particular, sometimes it's just reporting what happened, good or bad, right or wrong, pretty or ugly. So when it tells the story of great men and women of faith, they are not presented to us like they were near deity heroes, like Greek mythology. Sometimes we get to see heroes, warts and all. And that's what we're going to look at today. And that's why it's so important that Abraham is alive to begin with. Here's this story in Genesis 12. Open up your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to continue reading where we were first introduced to this character, Abraham, last week. And right after we're introduced to him, it really doesn't explain to us if he is doing what he should or not. When it comes to what we're going to do about it, we really have to kind of pan the camera around and look at other scripture too, like we have already been doing. Remember, Abraham is alive to begin with. Abraham ended up in heaven. But we're going to see here today how even people of faith stumble, and they need to get refocused on God. It's never okay to think of some other human being as near deity, and this story today will help us not do that. I knew a guy named Jim who really looked up to his old friend, we'll call him Hector, changed the names of the guilty to protect them. Hector had led Jim to the Lord. He had taught him spiritual disciplines. He had helped him grow up in his walk with Jesus. There were very few people that Jim could have respected more than Hector. But later, when Hector slipped in his faith and he was caught in sin, Jim was devastated. Jim's faith was tried and it was stifled because this one that he had respected so much fell, messed up. Important safety tip. As long as we're human beings, as long as we're living on planet Earth, people are going to let us down. And when that happens, should we throw our faith under the bus because somebody else messed up? I guarantee you there are some people listening right now who are using someone else's mess-ups as an excuse for their own. And if that's you this morning, stop it. Stop it. Seriously, what if everybody started approaching life with that kind of thinking? You arrive at an intersection, the light is red, but the guy next to you just blasts through it. Well, if he's going to do that, I'm going to do that too. And so everyone else starts thinking that way. What happens? A local elected official takes advantage of his position to line his own pockets. Hey, maybe your job gives you a chance to do that same thing. Maybe you're in a position where you could pull that off. Maybe everyone in any position of trust could misuse it to their own advantage. Too bad if you lose. What if everybody starts doing that? So let's quit using the stories of someone else's failure, like Abraham, as a justification. Instead, 
What we can do is go to the school of life with Abraham and maybe learn to wrestle with our own tendencies to fail. And maybe along the way, we can realize how our good choices can encourage people to do what's right. Here's what happens when faith gets tested. Very few things show how much a class of students is learning more than a test. Yes, there really was a reason. And yeah, you guys that are still in school, there really is a reason for all those exams. Somebody needed to know if they were teaching me anything. And in faithful obedience, Abraham has journeyed to the land that God has promised to give him. His foot has tread on ground where one day his descendants will live. That's what God has promised him. And it's a beautiful land. And he continues on to, we left this last week, on to the Negeb. Now the Negeb is a, a drier region. We got a, a picture from one of the valleys in the Negeb region. Kind of looks good this time of year, actually. It's near the Dead Sea. And then it happens in his travels, for some reason, there's a famine. The crops fail. The land of promise all of a sudden doesn't look so promising. It's become dry, demanding, hot, that takes more than it gives, and food gets scarce. It's a major concern. So Abraham is faced with a decision. Whatever he chooses is going to affect not only him, but it's going to affect his family and everyone down the road from his family since he was set apart by special use for God. Potentially, it's going to affect everybody. Remember, Abraham is told all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. So he chooses to leave the promised land. Chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. I don't want to read too much into this, but I notice here that there is no record this time of Abraham seeking God. There's no record here of Abraham building an altar, calling on the name of the Lord like he had done two times before. What we do see is this man of faith being tested. Maybe the trip to Egypt is okay. We just don't have a detail included for us. But we can understand this from Abraham's story, that in the lives of people of faith, there are going to be times that were tested. Even of the godliest and most faithful people, there are going to be times in our own lives when the, the, the need for growth is there and we're going to be put into a situation that grows us. Just this past week, I, I heard about one of the discussions that took place in one of our church's small groups. And they were discussing in the group uh, what were the conditions in which you in life have felt the closest to God and have grown the most and grown the closest to God? And by far, the people of that group said this, that it was during the difficult times. It was during the hard times that they grew the most and felt closest to God. Being close to God doesn't mean all of life's troubles are going to end. If you were expecting somebody to get up here this morning and to say that, that following Jesus means that all of your problems in life are going to melt away, then you came to the wrong place. 
That's some other place. In fact, sometimes being close to God will increase the challenges. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Many faithful followers of Jesus could describe the kind of famine times in their lives. A lost job, somebody's drawn out sickness, a spouse or a child who chooses to walk away from the family or walk away from the faith. Tough financial times, you can count on them coming. If you aren't suffering because of your faith, eventually you will suffer in spite of your faith. F.B. Meyer said this, had God pledged himself to give his servants an unbroken run of prosperity, how many more counterfeit, counterfeit Christians would there be? Do not be surprised if a famine meets you. It is no proof of your father's anger, but is permitted to come to test you or to root you deeper as the whirlwind makes the tree grapple its roots deeper into the soil. Times of famine in life can be a lot different if we can learn to look at them as opportunities to grow instead of looking back at them and saying, well, where was God during that? James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some years back, Sam Jarrett wrote in Reader's Digest, My wife was grading a science test at home that she had given to her elementary school class and was reading some of the results to me. This is just a story about how tests help produce results. The subject was the human body. And the first question was, name one of the major functions of the skin. One child wrote, to keep people who look at you from throwing up. <laughs> Faith will be tested. Testing is not always a bad thing. It shows some things. In fact, tests are an opportunity to grow and learn. I never appreciated the tests in school where we didn't get to see what I got wrong. Remember those where you do a test and all you get back is a score? Didn't you want to see what you missed? Didn't you want to learn something from it? Well, when God gives a test, he gives the results too. He lets you see so that you can learn. Let's go back there in chapter 12 of Genesis, starting in verse 10. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Okay, maybe that part isn't so off the wall. I got to eat. You got to eat. All God's people got to eat. So they go down to Egypt. Verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Let's stop right there. Ladies, he did something right, didn't he? <laughs> Guys, that was the right thing to say. Just put a note there, underline that in your Bible, men. 
So far, so good. Verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. This is the part of the story where Abraham assumed the worst, and then he arranged a lie to help, and he also involved his wife in it. Now what do you think of our hero? Before you get too harsh... It wasn't a big lie, really, was it? Besides, he needed to protect himself. How could God use him to be the father of a great nation if he was dead? You ever been there? You ever been those times in life where it seems like a little lie is the best alternative or that a lie is even necessary to do what's right? You forgot to invite Marla when your group of friends got together. You don't want her feelings to be hurt. Just tell her you never got together. Your aging father has cancer. You're afraid the news of it's going to devastate him. Just tell him that the sickness isn't serious. He'll be fine after all. You would want that bad news to be his undoing, right? Your three-year-old asks for the 11th time for an Oreo cookie. And there's a great big Costco-sized bag of them in the cupboard. He can't see them. Just tell him they're all gone. After all, what difference is that going to make to a three-year-old? He'll forget, right? When we get confronted with tests like that, how do we respond? We might as well look at ourselves honestly. We might as well decide ahead of time how we'll respond, because those times are going to come, aren't they? Are they going to be an opportunity to grow and learn, or are they going to be a reason that we sink into failure? Here's an idea. Speak the truth, even when it seems difficult. Don't try to protect yourself from discomfort. Don't assume that you're going to help somebody or that you're going to dodge the work of being truthful. Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4 of Ephesians, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Let's go on and keep looking at Abraham and learn from him that our reaction when we're tested can show where we need to grow. How often we justify, how often we rationalize, how often we try to skirt around our need to be truthful. Proverbs says, better to be a poor man than a liar. It's there in Proverbs that it says there are seven things that the Lord hates. Number two on the list, a lying tongue. It's no wonder that in John 8, when Jesus is speaking, he says that Satan speaks a lie. And when he does that, he's speaking his native language because he's the father of lies. You and I are called to be imitators of the God who cannot lie. So far, by the standard of God's word here, how would we grade Abraham? How did Abraham do on his test? 
Well, we could just look at the outcome. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So how's that lie working for you, Abraham? Abraham asked his wife, in effect, to take off her wedding ring and do whatever was necessary to save his hide. This could have been a, a crushing tragedy to her. And lies work that way. They necessarily involve somebody else. Think about that. How can you lie if there's nobody else involved? Let's finish the story, though, and see how it turns out. Chapter 12, verse 16. For her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Somehow the word had gotten out. What a shame that the man of God had to be called on the carpet for his bad behavior by a man who didn't even believe in God. Not only was it embarrassing, but Abraham could have been in more danger now than he would have been before. Fortunately, God just took over at this point. Abraham is spared, which really brings us to the main point here today. And that is that God often works around our failures. Thank you, Lord. There's a danger in this kind of a story that we would look at it, look at how it turned out, and we'd just conclude that the outcome of it means it's okay. It's okay that Abraham went into self-preservation mode. It's okay that Abraham compromised his wife's honor. It's okay that he lied because in the end, it all worked out okay. Yeah, it all worked out okay. So what Abraham did was okay. Abraham is alive to begin with, remember? After all, I can point to a lot of people who do things that are questionable, but it seems to work out okay. And I can point to people who do things right, and bad stuff still happens to them. We could read this story and say Abraham did a good thing here. He didn't. The good results of bad decisions are not God's blessing on us. It's God working in spite of us. There's a word for that. It's called grace. When it comes down to the end, God wants us to pass the test. Sometimes we're going to fall. Sometimes we're going to mess up. Even superheroes of the faith do. But God still wants us. And we'll have to face some of the consequences of our sin, perhaps. We might be embarrassed by it all. People who we love may get hurt along the way. But even when we blow it, God still has a plan for us to be forgiven. And that is called grace. I know that's true. I know it's true because everyone has blown it. 
For all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23, right? That means you and I, we've blown it. I've blown it. Somebody said there is nothing as hard to do gracefully as coming down off of your high horse after you blow it. How can God forgive me? I'm glad you asked that. All have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God and are justified freely as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You see, I actually can relate well to the guy down the street who's a creep and who needs the Lord because Jesus died for both of us while we were still sinners. And I can relate well to the lady who turns her back on the Lord because Jesus died for both of us when we had our backs turned on him. And I can relate really well to the guy who's made a mess of his life and he's down and he's out because Jesus died for both of us while we were still powerless. Let me play on words here for a second. You can either blow it and not have God's grace or you can blow it gracefully. Christians are people who have blown it gracefully. While we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've blown it, but we can blow it and receive God's grace. Abraham is proof. Remember, Abraham is alive to begin with. So Jesus has a way that we can blow it gracefully. Isn't that good news? You can receive his grace today. Just yesterday, I ran into a guy who had been involved here at Central in the past, and I hadn't seen him since before the onset of COVID. In fact, I couldn't even recognize him under a mask. But he, he came up to me and was talking to me, and we talked about current events. We talked about some politics and things that are going on. We talked about what he's doing for a living right now. And then I asked him where he's at in his relationship with the Lord. Where are you at in your faith now? He said he really wasn't doing much with that. He wasn't attending church anywhere. and In other words, he was blowing it, to use some words. And he knew that. He already knew it. So I said to him, you know, after all this stuff gets settled and, and after life gets like life is going to be finally, when it's all settled and the world gets these things settled out, your relationship with Jesus is still going to be the most important thing. Let me encourage you in your faith. And when I said that to him, he just kind of turned and walked off. And I just wonder... <clears throat> This morning, whoever you may be, if that's you listening right now. If you hear and you understand that you've blown it, and now you hear a reminder that there is a cure for that. God's grace given to us through Jesus Christ. Are you going to walk off from it? Or are you going to turn to Jesus and receive his gift of life? There's a way 
All of us have blown it, but there's a way to gracefully blow it. And that's to receive this gift called grace from God. This morning, if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never made the decision to have Jesus be Lord to you, he already is, but for you to acknowledge that and to live like that, if you've never made that choice, our hope is that you listen to God's word and you do something with it, that you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. Scriptures make it clear what it means to be a follower of Christ. It says that you need to repent, that you need to be baptized, that you need to confess Jesus as Lord, and from there, live life for Him. He promises His Holy Spirit will come live inside of you. He promises that when you're in Christ, old things have passed away, new things have come. We want that for every person this morning who's here, who's joining us online, every person who will hear this message from the Lord. And if that's you, and you're ready to begin a relationship with him, we need for you to make that known. We need for you today to step forward in a moment here as we're singing a closing song. I'm going to be down here at the front. If you're online, you can connect with us online. And there is somebody right now, I know there's people while we're online, uh, that put comments in and who are chatting and whatnot. And there's somebody there who is a host uh, who will respond to you and get in touch with you right away so that we can connect with you and help you begin this relationship with the Lord. Don't walk away from this. Let's stand up together. Let's pray together as we get ready to make decisions about what we will do with God and His Word. Father, we do thank you that you have known beforehand that we would need forgiveness, that we would need redemption. We would need your grace. Father, these words, as we think about them today, simply mean that we have this opportunity, having messed up, having made bad choices in life, having turned our backs on you, we have this opportunity to draw near to you, to be forgiven. Thank you. Thank you that you love us that much, that you have expressed that love in the giving of your Son and Father. Today, if there is somebody who is waiting right now to return that love, I pray that they'll make this the day, that they make Jesus Lord of their life. We pray in Jesus' name.